0: Thank you for uh, having me here today. This is my first time officially um, at Redemption Durham, and therefore it's also my first time officially at the Bridge on Taunton as well. So I'm so thankful to be here with, with you all and coming from again the west side. I reside in uh, Burlington, just on the border of Oakville there. And, you know, driving across the city today, I got to do that early in the morning. Sometimes I, I love doing that, especially when there's hardly any cars in the 401. Amen, amen, amen. Like no traffic, rarely you see that. Um, but just a lot of perspective. One, apparently winter isn't done yet, right? Yeah, not, not, not many amens to that comment, so at least where I come from. And, uh, but the reality is, um, just the perspective of you driving across this really amazing city that we're all a part of, the GTA, in one way or another, and you just, you just have a sense um, how much, obviously, Jesus Christ is needed How much the light of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to this lost and dying world. And I had a perspective too of driving into this place today and just sensing by faith that today is a kingdom day. Today is a day where the world may not notice and many people may not be able to look in and really understand. But I think for those of us who are here today, God cares about this time very, very much. The Holy Spirit is so, is so pleased and is so eager to see his fruit continue to be born through you all. So let's not for a moment um, underestimate what's taking place as God's children gather for the proclamation of the gospel and the advancing of the kingdom. Um, I love that personally, and I pray you are aware of that. We might be small, and we might be insignificant to the world, but to the Lord, we, we are very significant because of his son. Amen? And so that's why we take right now so seriously too. So I'm so blessed to be here. I'm going to take a chance just to pray because if I don't have the Lord, then nothing's going to happen. So I pray right now you can join me. Father, I am thank you for the grace of this moment right now. Um, I gladly bow low before you because I understand, Lord, that without you, again, nothing will happen of any eternal fruitfulness. God, I gladly admit need. I gladly, just joyfully say, Father, you must fill, you must speak, you must teach, you must guide. Holy Spirit of God, Lord, I just I pray in faith and boldness right now, Lord. Did not come this distance this morning to go through the motions but to pray you will supernaturally be changing lives, speaking to hearts, convicting of sin, but motivating us in the grace that is found in the love of Jesus Christ. So make today count as only you can. What a joy. Father, you are real, you are alive, and you hear this prayer and these prayers represented right now. You are a kind God, a generous God, a loving God. Would you choose then, would you choose in your grace that you get glory to receive Respond to these prayers of dependence upon you. Again, I love that you listen, and I pray and love by faith that you will respond now, again, as only you can. So these aren't wasted. These are multiplied for your kingdom, we pray, even as we seek first the kingdom today. In Jesus' name, if you agree, you can say... Amen. I love the amens of God's people. I believe they matter in the spiritual world. Let's get our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Today we are seeking first the kingdom together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Let me say this right now. Uh, This morning, this is an important time. This is an opportunity. I'm not sure the expectations you walked in with, but I hope to change those or heighten those even right now. So right now, as we gather, this is an important time, an opportune time. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. This is a heart check time, okay? Right now, like in this service, in this time right now, this is a heart check time. Time. See, what do you mean by that? Um, I grew up, my dad was a family doctor. In fact, he's still practicing medicine at age 74. Bless his heart. He's working among nursing homes and stuff. Um, and so growing up as a child of a family doctor, you got to play with some pretty neat toys from time to time. So my dad, stereotypically, he brought home that stereotypical doctor's bag, you know, the ones you may not see them much anymore. It was a black bag, and you open it up kind of from the inside, open up in the middle, and you looked inside, and as a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, 12-year-old, who knows, right? But as I was there, I saw this bag sometimes with great opportunity, and you go and you play with dad's Toys, right? You know, you 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 find out the thing, the um, the reflex hammer. So I had a younger brother, five years younger. Hey, Jamie, come on over here. Whack, ow, you know, that kind of thing. But it works, it works. And and the thing on the tongue, the little tongue for the tongue, uh, and also that um, that device you put in the ear to see, you know, to see the light and see what's happening in the ear, that thing was pretty uh, interesting as well. But my favorite doctor's toy by far was, of course, the stethoscope. Yeah, you're all there before I was, right? The stethoscope. So you put this on, and you got to walk around the house, and you got to find out, and you get to see who's still alive, right? So you go around, hey, mom, mom hard to believe, but Jamie, my younger brother, his heart is, he's still alive. That's so encouraging. And so you checked everyone, played doctor, but then you got to listen to your own heart as well. I still think that's pretty cool. From time to time, I go to my dad's house, we'll find this house, us we'll go put it on, and you get to listen, boom, 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 boom. Mommy, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. And that's an amazing process to hear your heart beat. That's what God is doing today. God, by his spirit, is putting on, him. you got to be ready for this, man. He's coming for you because he loves you. He is putting on a spiritual stethoscope by his Holy Spirit, and he's coming seat by seat, row by row, aisle by aisle, and he's going to listen in and to try to hear your heartbeat for his kingdom. I'm telling you, it's happening. I've warned you. I've warned you. If you think you're coming in here just to stand up, sit down, kind of come and leave again, you and try hard, but I pray you don't stand a chance when it comes to God's grace and love and his power and his spirit, seeking to hear where you're at. And so we're going to find out. It's a bit of a spiritual exam I'm really excited about. We're going to find out where we are in relation to his kingdom. Because last time I checked, Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom. And so that means it's our highest priority, and we're going to unpack exactly what that means. All right, spiritual checkup time, Matthew 6. Look at verse uh, 31. We're going to be really dealing with the context of this in Matthew 6, but our primary verses are in verse 31. Jesus says there, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Why? Well, the Gentiles seek after all those things, And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here we go. But, huge contrast, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, notice, and all these things will be added um, to you. So, we're keeping it simple today. We really only have um, one main point today. And just before we get there, I want to also help you understand this. Let's remember that this passage is contained within the Sermon of the Mount, which is the greatest sermon ever given. I promise you it's not the one given today, all right? And this verse, verse 33, contains the primary subject of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the kingdom of God. And this verse also contains the strongest imperative pertaining to the most important subject, which is seek first, again, the kingdom. So arguably, as you come to verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6, you have one of the greatest commands regarding one of the greatest themes all within the greatest sermon ever given, okay? Now can you say, big deal, you have one of the greatest commands on the greatest subject, all within the greatest sermon um, ever given. So, if you're listening to Jesus when He's preaching this for the first time, and you have any sense of awareness and you're somewhat astute, I mean, you will you will consider the magnitude. You like, can you repeat that? I got to make sure I write this down. Like like that. That's how big a deal this is. All encompassing, uh, life transforming, um, totally life altering. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So again, to keep it simple today, our our first really and main point together as a church is this. Number one, we must seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, There are no exceptions to this. Uh, There's no way biblically to get around it. Uh, We must seek first the kingdom of God. Now the context of our passage is dealing with anxiety in the temporal. Question for you right now. Question, question, question. Are you anxious over the temporal? How much do we worry uh, about the world that we live in and the world around us? If you don't uh, agree yet that this context is about anxiety of the temple, look at verse, uh, 25. verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, uh, what you will put on is life not more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Look at verse 28. And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. By the way, some of us who struggle with anxiousness, we're getting anxious about how many times anxious is being said right now, right? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Look at verse 34, then, where our text ends. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, whenever one word shows up that much in God's word, right? Whenever one word shows up that much, it's pretty clear what the Holy Spirit is putting down. Are we picking it up? Notice here how Jesus anticipates one of the great struggles of our lives. Notice in the first century, he keeps saying them over and over again. Listen, you're going to struggle with anxiety right now because you're also focused on the world around you. But notice 2,000 years later, The same thing is so true for us today. Jesus anticipated how much you and I would struggle with stress and worry and anxiety in the world that we currently live in. So three times Jesus commands, do not be anxious. It's a straight command. Two other times appealing to the futility of anxiety. Understanding, it's, 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 it's amazing for us to sit back and to realize, when's the last time worry actually helped you? I mean, Jesus himself, when's, when's that worry added an hour to the span of your life? I mean, isn't that, this is an important theological moment. When was the last time that stressing out about your situation actually advanced your cause? Uh, the answer is never. Stress eats away at us. Anxiety starts to kind of uh, uh, wear us down being so fraught over the situations of our life, it never actually adds to the health and the vitality of our existence. That's the point Jesus is making. I want us to stop long enough to just allow this to sink in. But now notice the all-important but in verse 33. Notice there. But in this contrast, what Jesus is about to throw down right now, Jesus is going to give us the antidote for anxiety. Jesus is about to reveal to us the path of purpose and the path of peace all in this one verse right now. So I really really want you to see that, okay? So you're here today. You struggle with anxiety. We all do it in some form in some way. We think so much, we consider so much, we 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 stress. Jesus is about to give to you right now in love the antidote for your anxiety. He's about to show us as the church the path to peace and the power of trusting in him and the promise of his provision. So you're ready? Here's the antidote to anxiety. Verse 33. Great verse to memorize, by the way. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does that mean to seek first the kingdom? If this church, churches, seek first the kingdom, I like your chances. If your life, your marriage, your family, I mean, the the small groups represented right here, you seek first the kingdom. What does it mean? How do we know if we're seeking first the kingdom? A few things we're gonna observe again from this verse. Uh, Number one, if I'm seeking first the kingdom, here comes our exam right now, seek first means it's my number one priority. Seek first means it's my number one priority. Question for you right now, what is the number one priority of your life? And I'm, I'm asking you, I want you to honestly answer that right now. Take some time between you and the Lord, what is the number one priority of your life? What's most important to you? What drives you? I mean, if you want to really have an honest kind of moment, you can ask someone who really knows you and loves you, and you can ask them today, and they, if they love you enough, they'll actually tell you because they probably know right now because our lives reveal what our hearts go after. But for yourself right now, and just what is the number one priority of your life? I thought about that for a second, and I came up with a few answers that I want us to kind of go through, and they all happen to start with the letter F, uh, because I'm a preacher, and that's what I do, all right? So here are seven, maybe a little more, seven Fs of the most common priorities in our lives that we live in our world today. Uh, the first F I wrote down is number one priority for many people is family, family. Uh, by far, the single greatest thing that we're going after is the care of our family, the promotion, the future provision of our family. Family's great. I, mean, I have, Again, four kids, a wife I love so much. Family's amazing. Isn't it interesting, though, Jesus said... If those who truly follow him love him for the sake of the gospel, you might be called at times to leave father, brother, mother, sister, right? Or wife, whatever it is, because he must be preeminent. If you're seeking first family over or above the kingdom, something's wrong there. You have to readjust that. That's not right. Jesus must be first. Family's amazing. Family's amazing. Not more amazing than Jesus. Another F I wrote down is uh, finances. That's gonna come up today in today's message. Many people, the number one priority of their life is money, is financial gain. If finances is higher than Jesus, uh, that's a problem. Uh, Jesus will make that incredibly clear in our context today. But for many, many people in our world, the number one thing that drives their heart, their life, their actions, their attitude is the accumulation of further finances. Uh, I wrote this one down, fashion. Fashion, you're like, really? Well, think about it, think about it. Think of how much our world is obsessed with appearance. How we look, the money spent into doing makeup and Botox and whatever it is, and the appearance of clothes, and just trying to present ourselves in a certain way that literally for many people, the number one priority, what proven by time and money and devotion is their appearance is their fashion sense, is the desire to look a certain way that overcomes so many other things. You know, within fashion or appearance, you can see that. You can say um, physique. That's a phonetic F. <laughs> physique and working out and hitting the gym. And that's more important than, been, than, than, than pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote this down too. Uh, how about fun? Fun. The number one priority for people is entertainment. I mean, that's proven through things like Netflix. That's proven through the desire to just have the next moment of leisure or pleasure. Hey, young people here today, under fun, here's another F, Fortnite. Ooh, don't go there, pastor. Sorry, just did, all right? For me, it's amazing to understand, and we have some Fortnite played in our homes a little bit, and it's limited, and it had to be limited, and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing to me. You have young people and not-so-young people who are literally directing their lives around a video game. Like, think about, think about that, think about that. The agenda of their lives is directed by a video game console and a video game. And they get to the end of the statement "Before Jesus. What did you do with what I gave you? I played Fortnite. Wow, like just these moments of perspective. I'm telling you, man, get a grip while you can. It doesn't have to be the most worst thing you've done. But if it's the, your priority, man, something is out of whack. Um, I wrote down this F Ferrari. You're like, I wish. Okay. Okay. How about wanting the car, wanting the object, wanting the new house, wanting that possession, wanting the gadget? I'm working for this. I'm longing for this. I think about this. If that's your priority, man, something is out of whack. I put this down food, food. You're like, really? Mmm. Pretty gluttonous society. A lot of people, a lot of people worshiping on the altar of stuffing their faces. For some people, that is their priority. The last F, we're probably at maybe eight or nine Fs, who knows, but the last one I wrote down was um, fame, fame. Under that, you could put stuff like Facebook. There's another F. For many people, the number one priority is reputation, credibility, Um, impressing people. The, The number one priority is identity and how the world views them. I'm telling all of these things, if that becomes the driving force of our lives, will severely disappoint us and let us down in the end. Because Jesus says we must seek first the kingdom. Now what's interesting, if you look at verse 32 of our text, in verse 32 Jesus says, he says, well the Gentiles seek after all these things. What things? The worldly things. Jesus is saying? He's like, listen, the unbelievers are preoccupied with the temporal. For unbelievers, the temporal and worldly things, that drives their lives. It's what they seek after, Jesus says. It's their pursuit and passion. Gentiles, or Gentiles here, unbelievers, are motivated by the physical. But citizens of heaven, the whole contrast here, Jesus says citizens of heaven should be motivated by the spiritual. Now, here's an important insight. You can't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. Unbelievers, theologically, are blind. They are lost. And ultimately, they are spiritually dead. So you can't expect someone who's dead to act like they're alive in Jesus Christ. But what about those who say they are alive in Jesus Christ? What about those who say they have been given sight and they are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Should they not then look different than those who are dead around them? Should we not... Those who proclaim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, should not our lives have a contrast to the spiritually dead that we live in and with and are should not this Jesus point here? He's like, "But you're not you're not an unbeliever. You're not a Gentile." You know me. You you saved by me. You, the light of the Lord, again, within you. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must look different. We must not seek the world. How tragic it is how many believers, professors of Christ, have no different, again, uh, identity than the people around them. That cannot be. I mean, Pastor Ian, even this morning, just in the conversation before we came in here, he just said, it's the Christian's distinctiveness in the first century that shines a light for where we are right now, and how blessed I was to hear that, and just understanding even right now, that's so true, that's it, that's it. If we're seeking first the kingdom, we're automatically, spiritually, supernaturally, by God's Spirit, we should look distinct. When Jesus commands here, but seek first, that means it must be our supreme choice, it must be our greatest pursuit. You say, well, Seeking first, what does that look like? Think of um, an athlete pursuing a prize with everything he or she has. I think of a young man pursuing his future wife with everything he has. I think of a farmer pursuing the harvest, going all in and working with everything they have to see the end result. That's what seek first is carrying the connotations of. This is what our lives should look like. Notice it's not the elimination of lesser things, context, food and clothing. Those are good things. They're just not the best things. The higher ambition, the purpose is the kingdom of heaven. The word first there in verse 33, it's the Greek word proton, meaning uh, foremost, prominent, most important, first in time, place, and important. So without a doubt here, Jesus says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God must be our number one priority. So again, question for you, what are your priorities? What are the priorities that drive us? Why is that important? Because our priorities will determine the direction of our lives. I'll say it again. Whatever our priorities are, they will determine the direction of our lives. I said this uh, said this, this weekend, I'll say it again. If you want to figure out what your priorities are, figure out what you think about the most, how you spend your time, and how you spend your money, which is really God's. Okay, so just right now, just do a little inventory. What you think about most, some of you are thinking about lunch right now, okay? That might be okay, may not be okay. I shouldn't have said lunch, because now you are thinking about it, so yeah, okay? What you think about the most, how you spend your time, like just like, take the last seven days. How you spend your time, and how you spend God's money. That will show you the priorities of your life. Another question, is it on the kingdom first? pause I want you to apply I want us all to apply I came across I was writing this message I came across a very helpful illustration I want to put an image on the screen for you this is taken by Stephen Covey it's a kind of secular illustration I want to turn into a spiritual application at the end this is the story of the time management expert who was speaking to a group of business students he pulled out a large wide mouth jar and filled it with fist-sized rocks when he couldn't put any more and he asked is this jar full the class responded yes He said, really? Then he pulled out a bucket of gravel and poured it in, shaking it down through the cracks. Then he asked, is the jar full? Ah, the students were on to him now. They said, no. Good, he replied. He dumped in a bucket of sand. Once more, he asked, is the jar full? No, they shouted. Again, he said, good. He poured in a pitcher of water until the jar was full to the brim. Then he asked, what is the point of this illustration? One student confidently ventured, no matter how full your schedule, if you try hard enough, you can always fit more in. No, the speaker replied. That is not the point. Here's the point. The point is this. Listen carefully, okay? If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all, okay? The biggest, most important rock we have in our lives to fit in our jars spiritually is the kingdom of God. Think of all the sand and gravel and this illustration, water, that we consume our lives with. I'm telling you, so many of us, the majority of our lives is filled with sand and gravel. If we don't seek first the kingdom, that's why so many people, man, they drift away from the church. They have no joy or passion for Christ because they're not centered on his kingdom. They're centered on the world. They're centered on entertainment. They're centered on their own hobbies. They're centered on themselves. And then in the end, you're left with those things. And that's why there's no joy. For some of you right now, you came for that sentence right there. The reason there's no passion in your life for Jesus Christ is because your whole life is consumed with things other than Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be a surprise then. It's like, duh, right? If I'm pursuing the world, my life will represent the world. I'll be filled with the world. My jar is worldly. But you seek first the kingdom. And the whole point is the only rock in our lives that is actually eternal compared to the world is the kingdom of God. The only one that is eternal is the rock of Jesus Christ the most important, by far, greatest priority we could ever have. Questioning for you, what sand and gravel is currently dominating your life and mine? See, if we're gonna seek first the kingdom, it's gotta be our number one priority because it's our number one value. That takes us to our next understanding of what seek first the kingdom means. It means that the kingdom of God will be my number one passion. So verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Now, when we speak of the kingdom of God, some of us like, what does that mean? Let me put up a definition on the screen for you by John MacArthur, okay? John MacArthur helpfully does this. Here's his definition of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, synonymous terms, okay? To seek first his kingdom is to seek his rule for my life, his will over my life, and his authority again over my life As well. So look at that definition for a second, okay? Just kind of consider that. To seek first his kingdom, his rule, his will, his authority. Let's unpack that one step further on the screen for you again, okay? So we'll put the next slide up. Here we see. So what happens is I submit to his rule. If I'm seeking first his kingdom, it's not my way, it's God's way. Um, My ambition is the will of God, then, not my own. I wanna know what his word says. I wanna follow this. I'm going to be um, uh, passionate and very intentional about this and then notice when it comes to his authority I want to adore him I want to worship him I want to love him with my life I was driving here it took about an hour to get here this morning from Burlington here and just at one point in my drive I put in worship music and intentionally say God I want to elevate my eyes and my affections above anything else and point them to you and how faithful he is when you have a sense of worship filling your heart again and eyes off of self and you look to his authority and his sovereignty and his goodness and tears begin to fill my eyes as I'm driving in the car and the satisfaction Action that is felt as you start to dwell in the God's kingdom and not yourself. There's no, the, the world can't touch it; like it doesn't even come close. You can watch sports, you can do this, you can pursue that, you can get a paycheck, but in the end, compared to Jesus Christ, there's nothing that comes close. He is the absolute most beautiful, glorious, majestic, powerful, the richest, the blessed. He's just, he's just there's none like Jesus. And every time we come close to him, we feel that and see it. Some of you right now, what I just explained to you, you're like, I, I don't know what that's like. Man, pray that you would. Because when you taste and see the Lord is good, you will never be able to really handle the taste of the world for a long time again. In the end, it will be like, Bleh, when compared to Jesus Christ. Because nothing tastes as good as Jesus. So, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's so important here. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Again, why would we seek the world when we know it's empty? Why would we store up treasures on earth if we know they won't last? Why would we build build bigger barns if at the end of the day God will just pronounce us foolish for doing so directly in His Word? I mean, to put it bluntly, to do all that in the light of the kingdom of God and wisdom, that would make us pardon the phrase, but that would make us spiritual idiots, right? Like if we're going to seek first the world and try to accumulate all these things that moth and rust destroy, when Jesus so clearly says, listen, it's not going to work and we do it anyways, that just makes us dumb. Is that fair? So let's not be dumb. Amen. Probably the first time you ever said amen to the statement like that. Huh? Huh? But I'm just trying to point out to you the theological logic and the theological implications if we truly understand what God's Word is saying. Again, it's a marvel to me. I consider that Jesus talked about money more than heaven. Jesus talked about money more than hell. Think about that. Jesus talked about more about money than heaven and hell combined. You know the 39 recorded parables in the Gospels? 11 of them are directly about money. Think about that. On top of that, almost every page in Luke's Gospel contains some teaching on money. I always get a kick out of people who don't like sermons on money, and you would not like Jesus as your pastor. You would walk out often, because Jesus, he just kept teaching on money. Remember, the very context of our passage is anxiety over the temporal. And the context of our chapter, look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here you go. Ready? Ready? You cannot serve God and money. Some of our lives, were like, yeah, I think I can. Jesus is like, uh, no, you can't. And like, yeah, you no, know, I think I can do it. I can serve God and money. And he's like, mm, it's not going to happen, man. No, no, trust me, I've been trying really hard. It's been going great in your eyes. It's not going great in the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says categorically, I and mean, who's this for right now? You cannot serve. It is impossible. It's one or the other, man. you got to choose. Is your, is your idol and God going to be money? Or is it going to be the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father? This is why, personally, I don't shy away from such teachings. And this is why it's, it's such a spiritually powerful truth. Why, why? 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 I bring this up here. Well, Jesus brings it up. But often the single greatest obstacle to truly seeking first the kingdom is the love of money. Again, it's hard to miss. You cannot serve both God and money. People get mad at me. Honestly, I don't really care. You know why? Because when your wallet gets converted, the heart is converted. In fact, let's just reverse that, maybe more theologically accurate. When your heart is truly converted, your wallet gets converted. You're like, why would you say that, Robbie? Matthew 6, verse 21. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. What do you treasure? What do you treasure? Hey, you want to find your heart? Want to find your heart? Find your treasure. When you find your treasure, that's where your heart is. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where your treasure is. What are you treasuring right now? What are you treasuring? What you treasure is where your heart is. You treasure the kingdom, your heart's with the kingdom. You treasure Jesus, your heart's with Jesus. You treasure finances, money, whatever it is, your heart will go with that as well. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. The power of understanding, seeking first the kingdom of God. The power of what that brings into our lives. You know, I've always loved the kingdom theme through scripture. I often get enthralled by it. I just wanted to take a couple of moments just to unpack. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, how serious he is. So I chose one verse pertaining to God's kingdom from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, Here's the first one from Matthew. I want you to see it um, right here. Jesus says this pertaining to the kingdom. He says to his disciples, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Didn't say it was impossible. He said with great difficulty. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why does he say that? Because wealth breeds self-sufficiency. Wealth is a great temptation against God dependency. It doesn't mean you can't do it. That's one of the greatest reasons that our society is so rich. It's one of the greatest reasons people have no need for God because they're so sufficient in themselves. You go to the third world, I've been many places, and you see the desperation. People all of a sudden, in their physical desperation, are opened up to a spiritual desperation as well. Not always, but it's amazing how the, those come together. Here's the verse from Mark. From Mark in the kingdom verse says this. Jesus, look, look how serious Jesus is about the kingdom. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Why? It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Those aren't my words. Like, that's almost like, wow, that's harsh. It's Jesus. Now, there's some men here right now. I, I bring this up a lot because it's, it's the, one of the greatest um, common sins among men and increasingly women, too. There's some men here right now. You are literally giving your heart over to pornography and lust. See what Jesus is saying to you? He's like, again, if you're going to throw your life away and give your heart to an idol that in the end just wants to destroy you and kill you. He's like, whatever, whatever it takes for you to understand that you can tear out your eye, cut off your hand, again, metaphorically speaking, but the drastic extreme measures of getting, because you want to enter God's kingdom, then have everything your pleasures in place and go to hell. That's how serious he is about seeking first the kingdom. For some of us, man, again, that, that, that's Holy Spirit laser to you right now. I just, I just know it. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to take it seriously for the first time, finally, and be like, man, I'm not throwing my life away? Here's the verse from Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel says this, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Are you in or are you in? Are you in or are you out? Are we doing this or not? Are we going to go for the kingdom? Are we going to see the vision to make my life, make my church count for the kingdom? And I'm not going to look back because I understand all value, all wealth, all riches are found in Christ ultimately. How powerful that is. And then John's gospel, I chose this from from John chapter 3. Jesus said this, truly I say to you, and I bring this verse up, because I don't know who's here right now, but like the Lord does. But it could be, again, that some people are here, and you've never, even if one person, and you've never truly been a part of God's kingdom. There's There's been a form of religion. There's been some information in your head. You've been a child who's kind of gone along with your parents' faith. You know what Jesus says? Um, Unless one is born again by the Spirit of God, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So that's a very important verse right there too because maybe some of us have never sought the kingdom first because we've never truly seen it. We've never truly been saved. We've never truly been alive in Jesus. You see, in the moment we're made alive in Jesus, in the moment we are saved, that is the moment we can actually see. And when you actually can see the kingdom and you see its worth, then that's when life starts to change. Because then you're like, okay, wait, I'm not going to live for that. That is so dumb. I'm going to live for Jesus. So in Jesus' name right now, I just pray. he He wants to speak to you right now and just say, you turn from sin. You embrace Jesus by faith to access his grace, the gift of his son, of Jesus who died for you and rose from the dead to defeat death. And you give your life to him once and for all, not a form of religion, but relationship with Christ. And you are made alive, a new creation, everything starts to change. And the people who see the kingdom, like that's why baptism testimonies are just so powerful. And all of a sudden, say, I, was, I was lost, now I'm found, I was blind, now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive, I can see the kingdom. And I want to live for the kingdom. Awesome. All of what Jesus means to seek first the kingdom, it becomes my number one passion. Next we see this, we see this. His righteousness means it's my number one pursuit. So am I seeking the first the kingdom? I will pursue his righteousness above all else. So verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God, notice, and his righteousness. So often we're like, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. Yes, 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 yes. And... Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Righteousness is holiness, um, character. I think of the very sermon that this text is embedded within is the Beatitudes. Think of how the Beatitudes begin this sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed, listen, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. You see? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his holiness. Character matters so much to the Lord. The the Holy Spirit produces in us the sense of sanctification that we might be vessels of honorable use. It's so important, the character of the life that follows Jesus Christ. Because sin gets in the way and quenches and grieves God's spirit as we heard this past weekend. Seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, so thinking about this text and how important it has become to me and really one of my life verses as well, I was thinking about this and it's like, man, like, we need to constantly with intention double down on what it means to pursue the holiness and character of God. I mean, this is an everyday challenge for me. So this past fall, my oldest son turned 14. He was entering into high school okay we four kids our oldest is 14 youngest is seven going into high school and all that that represents my wife and i jill wife jill and i we decided it was time to get our son a phone for the first time communicate with him and getting a phone for him for the first time also meant access to other things which we want to be careful of within our day and so we were going to put accountability software on his phone and his computer um, as well and so in this process, I was thinking about the pursuit of holiness and kingdom and righteousness, and I thought, man, so my son Aiden, he's going to have all this software accountability between, you know, towards me and my wife Jill. But I thought about this, and I thought, well, what about doubling down, and why wouldn't I also have be accountable to my son Aiden? Why would I not want to do that as well, just to increase the seriousness and the sober-mindedness that I want to feel in terms of my own. Because I was just thinking about this, how, how would I feel and react if my son one day got a text message directly of something that his dad was looking at that he shouldn't look at? I mean, just even that thought right now, the shame I would feel, the, 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 the guilt I would feel, the, the embarrassment, just, 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 just the grief, really, the grief. The grief. It would, it would be horrible. I said, I, you know what, you're going to have this, but then I'm going to be accountable to you too. So if I ever look at anything, you're immediately going to get messages and a text message. I'm just, it's doubling down on my desire and this temptation of this world to be as pure as I can be. It's interesting, a couple of weeks after we exchanged these accountability kind of platforms, and I've been in this way with my wife for many years, what's amazing to me is that the moment we did this, a couple of weeks later, my son did get a notice of something that I had looked at. And... Um, he came to me and, and it turns out that uh, I sent a tweet about when marijuana was legalized. And um, that notice came to him and, and uh, my son got a message that his dad was looking at marijuana, or something about marijuana. He come to me, hey dad, um, are we all good? <laughs> and I kind of loved it. I said, yes, yeah, son, we're, we're totally good. You know why we're good, son? Because there's no high like the most high. Amen, church? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how healthy. Some of you some of you just got that. That's good. But how how, how healthy it is. You have it's not foolproof, but it's 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 fences in place and incentive to say that I want to pursue the righteousness of God, and then I want to end here in the message, and I'll wrap up right here. Okay, look at the end of verse thirty-three, and this takes us to our our last point, which is this, or our last subpoint is this. Ready? All these things will be added means number one promise. Okay, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and that means my number one promise. So look at verse. 33, right? It says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, look at that. All these things, all the things that the world is so stressed about. Jesus says, If you seek first my kingdom, if you seek first my righteousness, here's the promise, okay? Like, I'm just, I'm just showing you what God's word says. This isn't prosperity gospel right now. This is the promise of God's provision. He promises to provide of our needs, not our wants, but our needs. Same Bible I'm reading. If you seek first the kingdom, all the things that stress you out, all the worry you have, all the anxious thoughts, Jesus is like this. He's like, try me. You seek first my kingdom. You seek first my righteousness. And then you test me. You see if I will not provide for you all the other things that you're stressed about. I mean, that's awesome. Right now, to you right now. You and I, so stressed about life and what it has. Jesus is like, try me, try me, try me. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my righteousness. And you see what happens. Now, do you believe God's a liar? Do you believe God tells the truth? Do you believe God means what he says in his promise in verse 33? I'm telling you, man, take him up on it. He says, he says, you worry about me and my kingdom, and I'll worry about everything else in your life. Hmm, that's a good deal. And he proposes to us today, again, because he loves us so much. You seek me first, he says, and I promise and guarantee that I will take care of all the things, food and clothing, and your needs in your life. That, that, that's amazing to me. And that's the promise that Jesus offers right now to the bridge at Taunton, to Redemption Durham, to the leaders of this church, to the men and women, to the marriages, to the children, every person in between. He says, you seek first my kingdom, try me, try me, try me and see what happens. You seek first my righteousness you see what happens you see what happens in this world that is so crazy and all these things will be added to you he's awesome he loves you and he wants to bless you as he said here today thank you for your attention today let's let's pray father i'm so thankful for these dear dear saints their obvious hunger for you their obvious passion for you and i pray lord this fundamental essential passage would run so deep into so many lives. Even as we respond in song, may it fit so beautifully into this text. Thank you for your faithfulness and goodness. We look to you now, Lord, seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.